Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, Tolter.net, for more information. Twitter, Tolter. Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, Google Plus, and also on Periscope at Total Tutor. And I'm excited to welcome my co-host, first of all, uh, Happy New Year, Coach Karen Hall. Coach Hall, how Thank are you? Thank you. I am well, Neil. Happy New Year to you, too. Can you believe this? 2016. Wow. I know. I, it's like wow to me, too, and it's unbelievable. And I, uh, our producer has let us know that our guest is on the line, so... Coach Hall, you can go ahead and introduce our guest. Well, I'm excited about today's guest. Uh, he is by far one of the best athletes from the city of Pittsburgh, um, extremely talented, University of Pittsburgh. Uh, his athletic career is well noted at Pitt, and he's a city league Hall of Famer out of the infamous Fifth Avenue High School, Sam Clancy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate oh, great it. to have you. Happy New yes, Year Sam, to you. Uh, Happy um, New Year to you guys. And uh, Sam, Thank huge you. fan of yours. We had an awesome first interview. I told Coach Hall I'll direct it towards where she wants to go with this because I know that she uh, definitely understands the history of ba- of City League basketball and stuff as some of the guests that we've already had on the program. So, Coach Hall, I know that's where you want to start first is go back to the roots of basketball, especially with Sam, even though, you know, we know how uh, amazing an NFL player he was and uh, and a college basketball player, but it started before that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, always liked, I always like to take you back, Sam, let you uh, relive some of the early, early glory days and take you back to your uh, high school career at Fifth Avenue, which is a legendary uh, school will forever be here in Pittsburgh. So, take us back to Fifth Avenue. Did you did you just come in high school playing as a freshman, or well, hey, I tell you what, then? I don't know if I can. I I try to to remember as much as I can <laughs> back in those days. You know, the older you get, the less you remember about things. That somebody can uh, refresh my memory here, though. But but it was great times, though. I mean, you know, all all the time. If Fifth Avenue was a high school, it went from seventh to twelfth grade, and we only had five hundred fifty students in the in the whole high school, uh, which mm. uh, which was even more amazing for for us to accomplish uh, the things that we did athletically, uh, especially basketball. I'm not so much in football though, but um, uh, uh, my first year playing down there was was in uh, junior high, was eighth grade. Now I'm telling you now, I, I chickened out in seventh grade. Uh, <laughs> oh and I, no. like, I was yeah, I did, you know, because, you know, high school is overwhelming, so you get down there and then uh, uh, you don't know if you're good enough to uh, make the junior high team. So seventh grade, I didn't go out for a team. I came up with some kind of excuse and stayed home and missed the trials and uh, it didn't play. Now, my, 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 my partner, Warner Mackin, played, Puffy Kennedy played, right. Bill right. Clark played, and uh, Evan right. Peoples. All those guys played, but uh, I kind of uh, uh, chickened out and and uh, uh, always I don't know uh, uh, I don't I don't know why, and I thought I was decent enough, but I didn't think I was good enough to play with with those guys. To tell the truth. Wow, I mean those are those are some big names. Yeah, yeah, well, and 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 and, and 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 Karen, you know, if you know anything about Sam Clay, you know those guys are as yes. much as important to my success as yep. as what I went out and did. Though, um, uh, from eighth right. grade on, though, we won every city championship. From eighth grade on, we never lost a city championship. 
uh, all the way up into high school. Now we did. Wow. We only won. Now, fortunately, we only won one state championship, which is uh, the after the year that uh, Fifth Avenue closed in 1976. So, but right. uh, um, but we had some great battles. I mean, some great rivalries against Shenley, against Perry, against Allegheny. Right. I mean, against Peabody, uh, Westinghouse. Uh, the rivalries and the talent that came through the city was uh, unbelievable. And I think I told you before, Neil. I said the, the city league. I said uh, Western Pennsylvania was second to none in the country, I thought, you know, yeah. growing up. And that's mm. a surprise because we talked about that with Coach Hall uh, and, and and a couple other guests that why is that, Sam, it's not happening anymore? Is it because the neighborhoods, the population in this area has dropped in that time period? And then when you're talking about the time period you played, the steel mills were still running. It wasn't, they were all, all, all closed down. And right. you had a, a more, uh, uh, I guess, better economy altogether in that area, and more and more people saw it as vibrant to stay there. So I, I'm wondering why now well, we aren't seeing what WGL is such a strong. Well, I, I, uh, I also think, sorry about cutting you, I also yeah. think that when I came up, uh, you heard the uh, saying, it takes a village to raise a kid. Yes. I, and yes. Uh, that was us. You know, and I can remember uh, uh, everybody parent we knew, all right, and everybody parent went out and support whoever was playing. They didn't care if it was their kid or it was a neighborhood kid, and it, and it, and it took that village to raise us to be the kind of people that we grew up to be. All right? And the Karen came from the same village, you yeah. know. And uh, um, but it was you know, uh, uh, parents are more involved. Uh, uh, I think parents are involved now, but kind of in the wrong way, all right, yeah. because uh, uh, there's so much to be offered as far as the kids getting scholarship. I mean, our parents now, I mean, I never, ever could ever talk back to a coach. Yeah. You know, it was, all right, where you see kids today talk back to the coach. Why? Because their parents go at the coaches, you know, yeah. now. So yeah. that was, a, I mean, I, if I, I would have never lived another day if my father would have thought that I'm up there hollering at a coach and everything, though. Plus, uh, uh, there was more of uh, where the Ozanam, the Ozanam right. Culture yeah. Center. Uh, Carl Coleman. I mean, I thought that was one of the greatest programs in in summer in summer league ever. Right, right. right. Mr. Coleman put so many kids in college. You know, mm-hmm. through that program, uh, uh, it was a stepping stone for us high school. So uh, uh, Fifth Avenue was easy to play ball down there. Uh, it has when you go through the summer leagues and you get people coming from all over Western Pennsylvania right. just to play play in either white and black. Uh, 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 kids right. coming to just play in this league here. I thought that that was uh, was something special. My first year organized ball was I was 13 years old, and uh, uh, I had Dolores was who was one of the assistants up at the Ozenam. She was our coach, first woman coach. I learned how to play basketball in fourth grade from a woman, uh, Mrs. Brown, right. Jenny Brown, God rest her soul. Oh wow. And yeah. uh, and then uh, my first basketball organized ball was a woman, you know, and uh, right. the Lord just for that one year, and uh, and uh, and she was a tough coach, and I remember she set me on the bench for a while, and I went home crying to my father, and and uh, told him that <laughs> hey hey dad I can't, I mean I'm better than who they she got in front of me and stuff, and my, he said and he he whacked me right inside the head, he said I don't want to hear that, he said if, mm. if she's if she's the coach, she know more than you. If right. she's the adult figure, if she said that you're not good enough, all right, then you got to go and work to be better than what you are. 
you know. And then ever since that was the last time I sat the bench in basketball, you know. So but the, but the we don't have parents. Like, my my point is we don't have parents like that that yes. does that anymore. Everybody's telling their kid how great they are, how great they are. Right. You know, you got to tell them how hard you got to work to to be great. Right. Yeah. So, you know the the work ethic that we hear in your conversation uh, about you know your experiences, you know, and you're seeing how parents are different today. So when you when you go back to even the O's and M and you know the experience you just mentioned, what lesson did you get out of that? Like what lesson did you get and did you hold on to as you continued to go to high school and then as you started to look for college? What early lessons did you get from from that? Well, you learned that nothing is 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 going to be given to you if you want something. You have to go out and and put the time and effort into it. You have to really work at being good. You have to be work at being great. And I thought I was good. I never thought I was great, even till this day. I might hold a few records, but I thought I was was good. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, game you're pretty great. And, and stuff. So, well, yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate it, Ken. You know, but but you know, I mean, greatness is who I look at those NBA guys. You know, Jordan and LeBron and Kobe. Those, and I mean, those guys put time in that that I never can imagine to put in. Even though I thought I put some yeah. time in here at Pitt, mm-hmm. you know, in the Fifth Avenue. But but I learned that you have to really work at what you really want. You know, you can't wait to right. somebody just give it to you. you now, and I think part of our problem today is that, you know, uh, and no offense against AAU, a little bit yeah. AAU mess mess things up because on on the AAU team, what do you have? You have all superstars. So right. you you don't have that guy that's going to dive on the floor for that loose ball. You don't have that guy no. who just want to bang just bang out just for the rebounds. You know, right. you know and like I said, nothing against AAU. I think I mean a lot of great talent come out of there, though. But but you put a bunch of super. So when they get to the next level, everybody and everybody everybody can't start in college, right? You know, but everybody thinks they're a starter. You yeah, know, right. instead of instead of working to instead of complaining to the coaches while they're playing or transferring to another school, uh, instead of just working, say, okay, forget that. Hey, I was down to sit on the bench the last time. I'm gonna go out and work my butt off to get, take. Whoever spot I got to take, just so I can get some playing time. You know, the guys don't mm-hmm. think like that today. Yeah, and no, no. the time they put in the work, I think that you used to have. As I talked to a lot of players in your time and earlier, and even I, even the time when I played, is we go to the playgrounds. We didn't play in the AAUs. You did have the OZAM. <laughs> you did have those opportunities for the all-star teams. But ultimately, when it's six o'clock and it's nice out and it's 50 degrees or warmer, you're out there playing. You're out yeah. there playing yeah. with guys on the playground, no organized, no referees, just play. And, 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 and having fun. And, and, and it's more competitive when, on the playground than it is when yes. you start playing the organized ball and everything. That's though, so. for sure. You know, and, and, and that's what we're missing, too. And unfortunately, yeah. especially in the city neighborhoods, though, uh, yeah. uh, kids go out on the playground now and let you know there's some kind of drive-by. You know, that's unfortunate right. for oh, our yeah. kids there, though. And yeah. I, I really couldn't tell what we can do. I mean, only I think only our officials can crack down on that, though. And, and the parents, you got to know what parents, your kid yeah. is doing. You got to know what your kid is doing and what he's involved in to, to try to put a hand on and stuff. And then uh, I also think that we need fathers to step up, too. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, young men, I'm talking about young black men, uh, mm-hmm. uh, are raised by single mothers and stuff, yes. and uh, they don't have that man figure in their life. And then uh, 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 the, the woman do the best she can, though, but 
still they need that man in there to tell them what's right or wrong if he's if he's that father figure, you know. And it don't have to be your biological father. You just have someone right. in your life, a mentor, who can uh, yeah. who can uh, take you in that direction and stuff, and tell you what's what you need to to, to know uh, on how to become a man. So you know, you mentioned um, the mentor thing, and I mean, gosh, did you grow up with some great players? Who I had oh, yeah. a fortunate chance to meet, um, but uh, so who was that mentor to you as you, you know, the end of your high school days are coming, and now you have to think about what's next. How did you? Who was directing you, and how did you get to pick? Well, well, I was fortunate to come from a a, a, a good home where I had both parents there, you right. know. Now, but but when I wasn't around. Uh, my parents, okay, uh, I could always look back at any one of the coaches I had, if it was okay. Elmer Gucker down Fifth Avenue or oh, Jim Lightfoot wow. Fifth Avenue or George Du Brown uh, wow. and, and, and John Gipko is probably the two other biggest outside of school who was the okay. biggest mentor to me outside of Fifth Avenue because uh, 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 with John Gipko, I got a chance to travel the country and play in okay. various tournaments, you know, against uh, Magic Johnson, Jane Banks, uh, uh, back in those days. I mean, so I got a chance to, to experience, yeah, yeah. To experience uh, uh, basketball outside of Western Pennsylvania. Now with 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 uh, uh, Duke Brown, all right. Now he had us ever since the eighth grade, all the way up until mm-hmm. the twelfth grade. Um, and he would put us. He would never put us in a tournament of our age. Uh, if we have either twelve and under, are uh, we playing? In, uh, and we're twelve years old. We playing in the fourteen or fifteen and under. So we always played against the older. Uh, uh, um, it, always played at the, at the older age uh, yeah. uh, uh, level of competition, which. Uh, which he, which really got us together. We didn't know. About the time we got in tenth grade, our senior basketball. I, I mean, guys who uh, uh, we used to play the white clay. And, uh, I remember Bill Clark and I played in the YMCA summer league. It was the adult only league, and we were the only right. two high schoolers in it. You wow. know, I was in tenth grade. Clark was in eleventh grade, and uh, I got a chance to play against my all-time Pittsburgh hero, Maurice Lucas. And, oh wow. Uh, Oh, hey, and he beat me down. I've never been so proud to get beat down by a guy. Yeah. You know, and and it's always, yeah. but that's what you know, but that's where we come from. I like, and he was right. laughing and joking with me. He's playing for the Portland Trail Blazers. I'm in high right. school playing against Maurice Lucas, right. and I'm like, Luke, I got you, man. I got you. I'm gonna bust you up. I'm gonna bust you up. And he would back me down. He back me down. Shoot the elbow. He said, Take this little buck. Boom. You know, and stuff. And but I loved it, you know, and I knew I, I knew right. I couldn't compete with Luke, but I was on the same court, trying my right. best to do my best with him, and 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 and, and that's where we come from. Like, like those mentor watching Dwight Clay right. and Ricky Coleman battle, you know, right. uh, uh, man, right. those, those were the greatest battles I ever seen, you know. So you had a uh, lot of exposure. Uh, you had tons of exposure. Uh, and, 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 and I wanted to be those guys. I wanted to be those guys. I really did. I just wanted to be just like him. I didn't know where it would lead me, and and I always thought I just was an okay player. I never thought that I was a great player. I thought that I I, I knew that I work hard and I give it my all, though. But I had some great players around me, you know. I did. I had some Warren mm-hmm. Macklin, Puppy yeah. Kennedy, you know, who we all came up, you know, from seventh grade on. Like I said, I didn't play with him in seventh grade, but but we right. played in the summer league together and. And uh, when George, when Duke Brown got a hold of us, I mean, we became a family. We really became yes. a family. Mm-hmm. All right, so 
And I don't know if I'll you guys remember. Karen, you might. I know. You, I don't know if you guys remember all those names I'm throwing at you, though. No, 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 I do. I don't. And I could. Karen Hall was very cognizant of that fact, playing in the city league as well, and learning from a lot of talking to legends when she was playing Ozanam to find out who these players were ten years beforehand as well, Sam. Now, looking at this, Sam, let's talk about how. Why did you have a football body in high school? How did you develop that football body? Yeah. And that's something I think we talked about before in the program, but I think that's the, why the mindset that, you know, football players have played football, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to – and that's the reason I, I played basketball. Basketball wasn't your priority. Basketball was your priority. Why did you think you need to have such a wide body? Well, well, I, I don't know how the body developed because back in those days, though, there was no weightlifting. I mean, if you can remember, uh, you guys played. If you can remember, if you lift basketball, they thought it'd take away from your shot. Now, me, I didn't right. have any weight, right. so it didn't make no difference. But I still, but there was no weight limit. There was no high school. I mean, I think in Fifth Avenue we had that one universal machine, and they even went to Brashear mm-hmm. my senior year. Yeah, uh, we had the same one universal machine, just a newer one. <laughs> you know, so there was no uh, dumbbells, there was no bars or anything to lift yeah. any weights, though. But right. but I, I I don't know. I just think playing against the we were always playing that was one thing that we always were doing okay and uh 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 i know that in fifth avenue the uh the reason and and i thought i had a pretty decent vertical um we we just jumped over benches all day you know mm. now now they call uh polymetrics or plyometrics yeah, and all that stuff. Right. Jumping. but uh elmer gucker had had us jumping on and over those benches even back in those days, you know, yes. and, and I, like all oh, I think, uh, jump it high as you can to touch the top, the high as you can on the backboard. So that helped develop all develop all the the muscles in your legs. I mean, constantly doing that stuff. Now, now my upper body, I don't know how I, how that came to be. I just uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have to I'm gonna take that to my mom's food though. Usually the food she making now ain't putting no muscles on you though. But but when you when you're running a lot and you're playing a lot yes. and you're eating some good food though, uh, yeah, uh, I figured that's how I developed that way though. Uh, but but uh, in, uh, my father was a, a big man too. He was six four, about three hundred okay. pounds. You know, so and my mom was five eleven. So uh, uh, some of that came, you know, out of that was genetic. Well, it served you well. It served you very well both on the court. And uh, you know, I like to, um, you know, the give us a story behind Jackie Sherrill. He saw you playing up there. You know, your pit career. And then I guess he uh, talked about, hey, if you gave him two years, he'd make you a football American. I mean, you you continue your basketball career. But how did that play? That was like a prelude to pretty much your future in that football. So it, 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 it was a future candidate. I did not know that I could even compete in at all. You know, and mm-hmm. Jackie Sherrill seen something to me, and I love him. He was here uh, twice this summer, twice this uh, football season for the pit games, and I got mm-hmm. a chance to uh, talk to him. And until this day, he always keeps telling me, teasing me. He said, Sam, you, you know you still owe me. I said, I said, Coach, the check is in the mail. Check is in the mail. But but how it started, though, and uh, and, I, and I did get recruited for some foot, for some football teams uh, uh, as long with in uh, Ohio State. Uh, uh, Pitt, okay. you know, some other schools wanted me to come out and play basketball and football. And okay. if, if you can remember, football at Fifth Avenue 
and then Brashear is the only Brashear is the only winning season we ever right. had that one year. Right. Yeah, we were six and two. But every year Fifth Avenue, we were two and six. We win two games, yeah. and we we had beat South, <laughs> and we had beat a uh, uh, Gladstone or somebody like that. But we would get our butts kicked. Yeah. Uh, uh, every game. So I, I I played football because Warney Macklin went out and Puffy Kennedy. They were in ninth okay. grade, and I'm like, man, these are, man, these are my guards. I mean, I got to go out and right. play football, you know, show that I'm a little tougher than they are, just to protect them, <laughs> you know. And uh, and and it worked out great though. But Jackie right. Sherrill, Jackie Sherrill really chased me around for four years, and mm. I was one of coach him in basketball. Plus Tim Gergerich was my man. Yes. Yes. Tim Gergerich was my man. He was the reason that I mean, he I became best friends with him. He was he sat at my mm-hmm. dinner table many times. Uh, he come mm. as my mom. I, I, I could never not remember a summer league game from tenth grade on that he wasn't at. Mm. You know, when we were playing yeah. up there at Ozenam, when we were playing out there at East Hills, when we were yeah. playing in, anywhere, I could never not remember right. him not being there and letting his presence being known. So we became good friends. And everything, and uh, uh, but Jackie shook me around, and then Gerg was saying, "All right, that, that football ain't for you. You better take this basketball." Now Jackie went the other way. Now, but Jackie was smart. He went the other way. He said, "Hey, you know, and, and here's a Jackie." Jackie said, "Hey, I'm gonna tell you now. There's no six six uh, centers in the NBA or or power forest in the NBA." He said, nah, yeah. "That's what he said. Now you come out for me, play for me. I will make you an All-American." Wow. And, and, and and how it came about, where I did go out for the team my senior year, is that Gergers resigned. All right, and I and I was okay. pissed. Sorry, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I was you're a little good, mad that Gergers that Gergers resigned, and uh, and uh, 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 Sam Shuler, one of our donors. And Foz Fagio was the defensive coordinator, came out and said, Sam, Jackie wants you to come out. So I went out for the spring. Anyway, it only lasted two weeks, you know, but I did a pretty good job, I think, in two weeks because okay. uh, uh, yeah. Coach, and, 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 and I love Jackie, like I said, because he has a way to, to see, okay, if this game is for you or if it isn't for you because yeah. at the end of every practice that was there, he sent the first defense off. And he sent it, put the second defense up, but the first against the first offense, which is Dan Marino. You got I'm going against uh, Russ Graham and Mark May, you no know, wow. uh, college Hall of wow. Famers and, and oh, Hall, Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Famers. And he he would just run five plays, and all five would be over towards my side to see if I'm mm. tough enough to take what he's what they ditching out. And mm. uh, and I don't know how I did it. A couple of times I slid through, made a couple of tackles. And every day I get I get involved in at least two tackles out of five plays. And and, okay. uh, and, uh, and, he, and and Coach Cheryl would pull me in his office and say, Sam, look, here's the film. Here's you going against my studs. And you are battling wow. and you're making plays. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, and then I sprained my ankle the one practice. And then we got the new basketball coach, Rory Chipman. Yeah. Rory said, Sam, I got I can't have my best player playing football. You gotta either decide football, <laughs> basketball, and I can start all over. So obviously I went back to basketball. Yeah. You know, and then I never thought of anything else of football after that though. You know, uh, uh when the Phoenix Suns drafted me in third round, I went up there, you know, when they released me, I never thought that they sent me to a Billings, Montana. 
uh, Continental Basketball Association, and I got up there mm-hmm. twenty. It's about twenty four inches of snow, uh, mm-hmm. and I get a call, and I get a call from the Seattle Seahawks uh, that same day, and uh, said that Jackie Sherrill said that you're a, a pretty good player, and you want to compete for a position, <laughs> and that's how it all started. I said, Yeah, I was mad. Wow. <laughs> so I mean, talk about technique. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wanted to jump into this because of course. We're going to have that part three of Sam Clancy's interview on the Total Education Network uh, celebrity show, because especially uh, we're getting into this, but things that you didn't answer last time, which, again, you're a storyteller. I tell you, Sam, you say you don't remember things. You remember a heck of a lot. And sure, yeah. With all, all the stories. I keep telling everyone that can has always said, they got to have a, they got to write a book. I mean, it's just so many fascinating things. But when you got that the thing when you went to the NFL is you never really played college football. You did. You got the play. And, we and, we and we were that good in high school. <laughs> and now they get, so where did you learn your technique? Because that's got to be in the show that you had such unbelievable talent and gift yeah. to play in the NFL with well, hardly any technique, meaning the technique that you know that makes a successful NFL player. So tell us yeah, how well, you kind of caught up when you play and practice, go to these tryouts and you're playing with guys – that have played major college football, yes. have played against the best players, have had the greatest coaches of all time, because we know how competitive that is for an NFL spot. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, well, and, and uh, like I said, I had very little technique when I got there. Obviously, when you're a basketball player going to play football, you have a tendency to what raise up. So your chest yeah. is available. Mm-hmm to that offensive mm-hmm. lineman or that tight end, you get a helmet in your chest every time. So you mm-hmm. have to learn that fast, though. But my uh, defensive – my well, the first year of Seattle, I was a tight end. Now, all the other years, I played defensive men. Mm-hmm. All right, so – but anyway, I go to the defensive side because that's what I played, though, because I had no techniques in there either, though. George Dyer was the uh, defensive line coach up at Seattle Seahawks, and, and all he talked about is pad level, pad level, keeping your pads down, using your hands. You know, uh, taking your first step, uh, seeing your target, and uh, and all that was new to me because, like I said, you know, uh, uh, high school you just from high school to pros, you know, high school you just get and go. You one of the biggest guys on the field, so you know you just just hit a gap and nobody can stop you, you know. But when you get to professional, you know, where you playing against men, you know, right. you had to learn how to compete. On their level, though. So, but 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 what 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 I done after I learned after I got the techniques that George Dyer was trying to teach, it goes back to working at it. So I would stay mm-hmm. out on the on the on the sled. I would hit the sled. Um, mm-hmm. I would go to my room, all right, because uh, the NFL playbook is 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 crazy of what you got to learn and stuff. So I would go back and I would. Visualize. I lay in my bed and I would visualize myself. I visualize George Dyer telling me to take the step, use your hands, come off low, all right, then press the guy off your body. All right, so wow. I would visualize that because if you don't forget now, I have no college. I mean, a week and a half of right. Jackie Sherrill still, you know, and then went right back, right back to basketball. So I would visualize that and then I would get in the playbook every night and just look and make sure that, first of all, I had to be mentally tough and not make the mental mistakes because mental mistakes would get you cut on any professional team. You know, they they hate hate guys not doing the study, so I did that. And I just visualized myself seeing plays that every day I got more and more confident in it, and I see mm-hmm. that the techniques were coming, and the techniques were coming. Now, the, good, the best thing that happened for us back in those days, we had six-week training camps, okay, and the first two weeks, 
or the first week, I'm sorry, the first week were rookies only or young people mm. who need work. So the vets come in, and, and back in those days, there was no off-season program. The vets would come in to get in shape. You know, mm. these are guys still smoking cigarettes in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So, 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 uh, I, so I, so I was going against other young guys, even though they had college experience. Though, um, um, athletically, I matched up well against them. Wow! If, if, that, if that make any sense, you know, just, yeah, uh, just, just, just talent wise, I matched up well against the young guys because they knew as much as I knew. They knew a little more because they have had techniques in college, but it's different in the NFL. And I was able to uh, build my confidence up going against the young guys who were really the same age I were. All right, until that next week, I got a reality check, you know, where I was having a great camp, great rookie camp that one week. I get a reality check, and I would never touch and pass rush. I, man, I was running around these guys, and I get to, and I'm trying to do the same thing against the vet. They snatch me up and throw you on the ground. Like, where you going? Oh, wow. You know, so wow. it was different. So you had to learn. You had to learn. You had to learn. As you had to, I really had to learn as, as, as it went on. So your work ethic was in place. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm here. Say, Coach, you you said Coach said your work ethic was definitely in place. But I have to cut us off, and I can't believe this. Definitely have to set up part three. I'd love to be to come down to the TV studio to meet to meet just them face to face, especially as you were my legendary uh, role model in so many ways when I went and watched you at the University of Pittsburgh at Fitzgerald Fieldhouse and the stories and the thought process of, of basketball and how I never thought that I'd end up being as big as you or even bigger than you, Sam, uh, when I was a kid watching you at Fitzgerald Fieldhouse. So we definitely have to set up part three. But, Sam, best place to find information on you is at the University of Pittsburgh's website, right? At the sports website, yes. correct? Yes, yes, All right. Oh, well, fantastic. Thanks for calling, Sam. And, uh, Coach, what a great guest. We have another guest coming up very soon. Thank you guys for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Sam. Thank Take you. Care. Take care, guys. All right, okay, thanks. you too. Okay, bye-bye. Happy New Year. All right, that was the nice. celebrity Take show. Happy New Year to you too as well. We'll be live soon. Take care. We're back. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome my co-host, Paul Hall, author of the Hall of Man series and CEO of many companies. Paul, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guests. I am. I have a special guest for you today. Uh, it's Chris Christman, and he is a one heck of a science fiction writer, and you know, sort of fantasy come sometimes put in there. But but he's a, he's a great uh, recognized author in lots of circles here. So so welcome, Chris. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank and Neil. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, Chris. Tell me how you started to become an author. Tell us the story. Oh, well, that, that's too long of a story for what we got here. Um, a short story is uh, I retired in 2016, and retirement gets boring real quick. And so uh, I had started arc reading for a lot, a lot of other uh, urban fantasy science fiction authors. And after a few years, I decided, like, hey, I've got a story that I need to tell. And that's pretty much how it started. That's great. And why do you love science fiction, Chris? I I grew up reading science fiction, um, all the greats, Highline. Uh, basically, I was raised on science fiction. And I actually came up for the plot for my first book 
back in 1980. And it's it's been this long before I felt I was a good enough writer to actually put it out there for others to read. That's, that's great. And so, so tell, go, Paul. I was going to say, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a bit about your book. Okay, it's, it's uh, oh, basically uh, the bad guy, the antagonist, um, uh, is a ex-military guy who uh, had some terrible things happen to him in the war. Long story short, it takes place in modern times, and he hires a group of paramilitary people, and they take over the nuclear reactor power plant just south of Kansas City, and he's threatening, threatening to melt down the core and create a Chernobyl in the middle of America. And of course, the army, the army doesn't know what to do because this guy has uh, some magical powers that enhances his extreme military people that he has helping him. So the FBI, the military, they call in a technomancer who is a uh, He's a wizard who doesn't like to use magic. He prefers to use science. He, I, he's kind of like a Doctor Strange meets Tony Stark kind of kind of deal, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. It definitely makes sense. And what do you think that, you know, developing these characters and all that, the kind of the process of doing it, to put together these characters and put the story together? Oh, the, the, the character, uh, my main character is, is called Zardoz. And it, it, it's kind of a character that I had developed 20 years ago when I started in the computer business as an online personana. And it just felt natural for me to take that character and put it into a book setting, a fictional setting. So he uses... He, Put it this way, his 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 home, his his private lab is a uh, retired ICBM nuclear bunker underground. And that's his command center. And from there, he has access to stuff that the CIA, NSA and all those people, they come to him for for information. Great. That sounds wow. really, really exciting. Yeah, and well, he ends up calling in uh, some magical help. He gets he gets a British witch to help him with his with her earth magic, and he gets a immortal Chinese mage uh, that's been around for two thousand years to help him with the nuclear reactor meltdown part. And what what is the feedback then with your books? Uh, I, I've gotten really good feedback from readers and they were they were sort of confused like well it's urban fantasy but it's more science fiction than what readers know as urban fantasy so it's it, it's set in a modern day setting uh, it's science fiction but all the science in it is real I mean the research if you if you read the book anything having to do with the nuclear reactor is absolutely true. The research for how to take over a nuclear reactor was was quite involved. I mean, Paul Paul was lucky he got to live his his character story 
Um, the rest of us have to do research. Yeah, yeah, true. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And like when you, so the research, all those different things, are you thinking of writing another one? Yeah, well, I actually did. I, I wrote a second book as a follow-up to the first. The first one was published in May of 2022. I published the second one the following October. That one's called Wild Magic. And it also takes place in, in the real world. Uh, something goes wrong and Yellowstone, which is a super volcano, is set to, as we know, it's it'll explode at one point in the future. And the the, uh, the pro no, I guess it would be the antagonist, the bad guy in the second book, actually is going to trigger Yellowstone into erupting, which would change the face of the western half of the United States. Wow! So yeah, it's this thing really intriguing. Do you want this ever to be a movie? Or a <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll we'll get there when we get there. I'm I'm working on the, the the final book in this trilogy right now. It's just about done, and that one is called Old Magic. And in that one, bring I bring in the last dragon on the world. On the world, the last dragon comes alive, so our our heroes have to deal with him. And I also bring in a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft, if you guys are familiar with him, and spend a couple chapters because someone has woken up one of the elder gods and he's not happy. Wow. So all of your, all of are are the same characters through all three books? Yes. All, all the, the main three characters that are on the cover of the first book are the main three throughout the, the, the trilogy. But I also bring in other main characters that take over the second book uh, and they get a lot of, a lot of screen time. Uh, they're also magic users. And then in the third book, we've got a little bit of everybody. My second, well, actually in my first book, I should say, because we've talked about AI. I've got an AI character who was flying an airplane in the first book. And in the second book, the AI comes awake, becomes alive, becomes aware, self-aware, shall we say. So I'm having a lot of fun Um writing about this AI who who thinks therefore she must be alive is how she questions herself. So I explore the, the, the possibilities of AI in a current situation, real world situation. Really good stuff for sure. Uh, where is the best place people can find information on you, purchase a book and learn more about you? Uh, the, well, you can go to Amazon and type in my name, just Chris Christman, or you can go to my website, which is www.chrischristman.net. ChrisChristman.net. We appreciate you coming on. Great stuff, man. Take care. Thank you for having me, Neil. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us. Stay with us. Don't go away. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yep, I'm uh, here. Th those are those are fascinating, fascinating books. So appreciate you coming on and and uh, and having a little chat with us. Well, I really Paul and you know, and Chris. We I remember we were talking about during his uh, audio book launch. Right. 
if you ever were interested in some of the things that we're doing for authors, and I think you said you were not was in the budget or anything to consider some of the things we're doing, Paul and I, well, we're, we, we've created a lot of different things from PR to book people on podcasts to a virtual assistant company. We're doing a lot of different things. I don't know if any of those services interest you, intrigue you. Yeah, it does, Neil. I'm I'm pretty much I haven't done a whole lot of marketing. I'm waiting because people want a series. They want to binge read a series. So once I get this final third one done, then we're going to look into really marketing this trilogy and pushing it out there. So I'll be reaching out to both of you guys. Great. When are you looking to when's that when is that book coming out? I'm looking It'll probably be ready in November, but I probably won't launch it until December and 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 try to catch some of that Christmas rush. I would I would I would launch it on uh, Black Friday, to be honest with you. And I think we should have a conversation in mid-November. That sure. sounds like a good idea. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I've been hanging with authors, and I see how everybody else is doing. I see what works, what doesn't work, and I am I'm I'm just to the point where I don't have the time to learn all of the stuff that we need to learn. It's, we just don't have enough time. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm exactly where you are, Paul, except a few years behind you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it won't take that much time to catch up either. I tell you that. So, but. So yeah. I, would, I would say mid, I mean, mid November or even beginning of November, to be honest, because we should at least have the conversation and look to launch mid November because if you're, you should really focus on, then you'll at least know the book, everything's together. You know that you've gotten it out in November, right, where you first got it, and then we launch it on Black Friday, and we really come up with strategies and discussions the first week in November so that we can launch, get the social media rolling mid-November. That sounds good, Neil. It really does. Okay, great. So, Paul, set up a, a call with him first week in November, because it'll be here before you know it. Trust me. Yeah, yeah I know. It will be. Yeah. We, <laughs> we know I'm, how that goes. Yeah, I, I set not... a hard deadline one time, and I will never do that again. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, it's great talking, Chris, and look forward to chatting with you at the beginning of November, okay? All right. Awesome, Neil. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Paul. Right, okay. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, are so are you done? It's okay. That's okay. Yeah, can you can you uh, exit yourself there? Yes. What? No, not you, Neil. <laughs> I'm here, Paul. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, he, uh, Chris wasn't uh, exiting, so I got he's gone now. It's good. You know how to remove good, people or not? Um, is that where you just on the end, and it'll give you the choice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I do know that. Okay. So our next interview, but that's good. Did you know Chris was looking for marketing? I, I didn't know, but that's good. Yeah. That he is. Yeah. Perfect. It's a numbers game, bro. If we were on interviews all day long and I, like I said, this is keeping me so much time spending with C and all this stuff. Once these people are on board, but we got to keep interviewing. And I know how important it is because, like I said, Eric's starting to show, well, what are we going to use him for if he's not doing video editing? If we're going to have a certain right. standard of what video editing is going to be, I mean, vid.io looks more professional than what he was doing. 
I like the creativity you did for uh, what's it called, but I didn't like the other stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it has to it, it has to also fit the character of the client, right? I mean, what they're what they what they're looking for and how and and how they especially if you're looking at especially when you're looking at a doctor, dude. You don't throw it like it's get. And I was disappointed with Corbin's work because I showed Corbin the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe we I need mean, an older. When Bit.io can literally do that, dude. If you look the reels I did for Simkovich, I know the video is not good because it's not shot in 1080. But really, right. dude. Yeah, I mean that that yeah it, that that definitely can be better. So I I think he was, maybe you're right. He was probably looking to say, oh, uh, uh, I I'll do it and then throw it out there and then and then get it back as a change and I'll have extra work. I I, I think that's probably what he was looking for. So. Or he just said, but, but you don't want a client to come back after they showed you the video and not even give them something. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and excited to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Holloman series and senior and seniors publishing and all these other businesses. How are you, Paul? And I know you're excited about our guest from Australia, right? Absolutely. We have uh, Paul Rushworth Brown with us today. He is a fantastic uh historical fiction writer uh he has a, a trilogy out just now right the, the last book is out now and uh and he's going to tell us all about the, the whole trilogy there so welcome paul thanks paul hello neil how are you all right so let's talk about how this all started for you in writing kind of explain it to me okay so um oh, about three years ago well i've always been a history nerd um about three years ago i started delving into um my family history and trace my furthest away ancestors back in 1590 in a small village in New Yorkshire called Howarth. And um, a year later, I thought, you know, who was this guy, this Thomas Rushworth uh, from 1590? Um, and uh, so I actually did a lot of research and I, I wanted to know who was a peasant living on the moors of Yorkshire and I wanted to know how he actually lived. And then uh, that, from that research, I actually... Uh, um, turn that into sort of like a a, a, a whodunit, fifteen ninety, and um, you know a little bit of romance, a little bit of spice, a little bit of um, um, you know very very uh, authentic and uh, and researched accurately and um, to the point, and that was the birth of Skullduggery, the uh, the first novel in the uh, in the trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go. Uh, once you decided to write it, what kind of gave you the ideas for your book? Um, well, <laughs> a lot of people ask me that because, um, and it's, uh, you know, like when I write, I, I never do any planning or anything. I just start writing and then you know, having a, a, a sort of like crazy imagination as I do. Just one thing led to another. And, and this uh, Tommy Ru Thomas Rushworth, um, had a family, and uh, basically, what I've done is I've I've um, built up a whole um, historical, um, I suppose, uh, whodunit and thriller um, around his around his family, which which I you know, I, mean, I mean I traced the Thomas Rushworth, but 
I really didn't know much about who his family was. But um, yeah, he was a copyholder on on the uh, on, on the moors of Yorkshire, and I've been there. And my God, what a what a what a uh, a difficult difficult place it would have been to uh, to live back in back in the 16th century. Sorry, I don't know if I asked, asked answered your question then. <laughs> No, you definitely did. Like creating characters, how did that? How does that work when you create characters and develop characters? Um, that's something uh, you know. Like um, you, you know, after the third novel, um, I mean, I actually went back and I rewrote uh, Skullduggery, and um, it's something that uh, you know you, you definitely get uh, better and better at as as um, as Paul would know as um, as you uh, as you continue writing over a period of three years but how i develop them is just uh um you know just from from you know tommy rushworth or thomas rushworth you know he'd, he'd have a little bit of me and him he'd have a little bit of my father um obviously um having, having a, a, a good imagination uh helps and um yeah they just uh they just develop with with the story um and um you know, like Tom, Tommy Rushworth is, is 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 just a young boy, and his father dies from consumption, um, and he's basically left with the uh, the tenancy of this ten acre plot um, that he has to go to the steward of the manor and 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 try and keep. And um, you know, it, but basically, you see a young man um, who's trying to um, survive on the moors of Yorkshire see a young man develop from a boy into a man over that period of time and with that there you know there's a romance and there's a there's a uh, there's a, uh, a a really interesting marriage you know because um once i started researching the way they do do, do marriage back in the 16th century is totally different the customs and that to obviously what we what we do today so that's a very very interesting component of um of, of, of the story what are your what is your hope for the trilogy of your three books? Oh, HBO. It's just made for HBO. <laughs> you know, I mean the interesting thing is, you know, like with uh, uh, things like uh, Poldark and Vikings and and uh, those those types of uh, of shows. Um, you know, people love those like uh, that, that, that type of miniseries. And the trilogy itself is actually, you know, like, I mean, it deserves to be on the screen without sort of like, uh, I suppose, bragging or anything. It, it, it's a story that deserves to be on the screen. So I'm just, I'm just waiting. It's waiting, right? <laughs> you got to wait for sure in the process and getting it out there. And so ultimately looking at to get it on screen is such a important part of the process and your fans are your, are, what, what is the feedback with your fans that have read all three books? Well, the third one comes out on November 22nd, right? So, um, you know, it's being splashed across uh, social media. I only just got the, uh, the final formatted copy yesterday. Um, so that comes out on November, November 22nd. But, um, yeah, it's eagerly awaited. Um, you know, like uh, um, from had a advanced reader's copy sent out to a to a number of a number of uh, people that are, a number of uh, readers and they loved it. They, they can't wait for it to uh, to get out there. Great. All right. Well, that, it's such an interesting thing, Paul. Any questions? 
No, I, I, this is, I mean, it's a fascinating series. I've, I've uh, talked to Paul before and, and uh, it, it's uh, definitely a series on my list to read. Um, it, it's uh, it, historical fiction, as you know, with, with mine is closer historical fiction, but but I, I love historical fiction. So and, I, and Paul has done a terrific job on on actually putting his whole family in the books and, and moving them forward through time. Yeah. Um, so the, the the third one, the second one is called uh, 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 Winter Red, or sorry, 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 Red Winter Journey, and the third one is called Dream of Courage. And uh, I, I'm really excited about Dream of Courage because it's uh, it's more of a uh, a thriller. It's a um, it's a thriller set in the early 1700s, and uh, that's probably a little bit. Um, more, uh, I suppose, pr- progressive than, than the other two, where um, the story actually takes place in sort of like larger cities. And obviously, back in that time in England, there was cutthroats, there was pirates, there was um, high women. So there's, you know, there's a touch of that in it. And uh, there's a very, very, uh, very, very uh, brutal character in there by the name of uh, Jacob Wilding. And uh, I'm very interested in, in seeing how people react to this, this brutish fellow. Me. All right, great. Where's the best place people can find information on you, purchase your book, and learn more about you? Uh, so there's a website. Uh, probably the easiest way to get in there is to um, to go, uh, do a search on Google, Howarth, H-A-W-O-R-T-H, backslash Skullduggery, backslash Australia. And the, without there's even a, uh, a, a free copy of, of Skullduggery on there for people to go to the website. All right, people need to check that out so then they can go and read one of them, right? And then get to yep. then buy all the rest of the books and read oh, the whole so. series for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, appreciate it, sir. Thanks again. See you guys. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome the program first. Author of the, my co-host, author of the, uh, the Hollow Man series and... Uh, CEO of many companies. Paul, how are you? Are you excited about our guest? I'm, yes, I am. We, today we have uh, Dr. David Jack Fletcher, and he is one heck of a, an author, and he's going to tell us all about his work. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. So tell us a little bit about how you became an author. <laughs> How'd that happen? Well, um, so far I've spent most of my career in academia. Um, and, but I always had that sort of, I want to write, you know, um, passion. And after about 10 or 12 years in academia, I sort of was just getting a little bit, um, a little bit bored and I decided to try and rediscover my initial, um, love, which was to write horror. Um, and so I decided to just open a, a Word document one day and just start writing, and it's just gone from there. So tell me more about, you know, writing horror. And, uh, like, are you, what type of horror are you into in, in movies? What, you, what, what, what type of genre? Okay, so there are so many types of horror out there. There's psychological, there's body horror, there's, you know, ghost, supernatural, all that sort of stuff. Um, I like most of it my go-to is probably the creature feature um so films like cabin in the woods for instance um 
where there's just a whole bunch of monsters running around everywhere. Um, and I also really like comedy horror. So um, movies like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, um, which really sort of play on the traditional conventions of horror and twist them on their head a little bit. Um, so those are the things that I really like. Um, and my first book, The Haunting of Harry Peck, is actually a comedy horror. Um, I would say it's kind of a YA, young adult um, book. Okay. Uh, but what I've done is I've taken a bunch of um, really classic scenes from films like Friday the 13th, um, The Ring, Nightmare on Elm Street, and I've sort of replaced all those really gory graphic scenes um, with the 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 villain of my book which is a chicken the, the ghost of a chicken so that's the ridiculous <laughs> yeah so you so so you definitely were into the, the into freddy and all that stuff nightmare on elm street and yes uh, friday yes. the 13th why can't we go back to that halloween why can't we go back to that in horror why would we not be able to uh, i don't know i think they had their day and i feel like people really respect that those were the iconic horror films, right? So we've never really had another Alfred Hitchcock, for instance, and everyone sort of just agrees, you know, Psycho, The Birds, all those, they're his. And then you move on to, like, John Carpenter and things, and it's like we know that, you know, John Carpenter is the only John Carpenter. So let's just leave that alone and we'll try something else. That's the way I see it. So what are the big horrors you think now, horror movies now that really do well? Because thriller, no, thriller and horror are probably the number one box office hits right now. Instead of, you know, unless you see Barbie or something, but meaning like that's <laughs> what they keep bringing to the theaters. Yeah. Um, so I recently saw Saw 10 um, and I enjoyed that. But for me, the best horror movie that's come out recently was The Last Voyage of the Demeter which is a Dracula story. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. I like Barbarian. Oh, Barbarian. Yes, I loved that one. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't really... so many. I mean, there's... There oh, even, even the one with the with the uh, AI doll. That that was interesting. That, Megan. Uh, Megan was good. But is there a Megan yeah. 2 coming out? I do think so, yeah. Yeah. But she's well, like there's... the new Chucky, right? You're right. Yeah, but Chucky, I was never into. Megan's creepier. Megan, I just loved how she was dancing down the corridor in that. There's that one scene where she's dancing down the corridor, and it's so creepy. Exactly. She's so about it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, some, some great stuff. Uh, so the chicken, are, are you going to have a series in this book? It was supposed to be a trilogy, and I have it planned out, but then I sort of just moved into um, kind of the body horror stuff that, I used to do when I was a bit younger. Um, and so my latest book, which came out in June, is Raven's Creek, and that's a creature feature survival body horror. Um, and people seem to be really enjoying that one. All right. Best place people can find information on you, purchase a book, and learn more about you. Where can they go? Um, the best place is probably Instagram. I tend to be more active on that. Um, and it's just at Fletcher Horror is my handle. Um, but you can also look at all of our books from Slashic Horror Press, which is um, the publishing company that I, I co-founded, um, and just look, just Google Slashic Horror Press and we come straight up. So, Excellent. We appreciate it, sir.
Thank you. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. 